Section 11 of The Book of the Thousand Nights and a Night, Volume 9. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Book of the Thousand Nights and a Night, Volume 9, by Anonymous. Translated by Richard Francis Burton. Night 909 When it was the nine hundred and ninth night, she pursued, It hath reached me, O auspicious king, that when the king Jaliad heard the words of his wazir Shimas, he commanded the attendants of the keenest witted of the Alima, and the most accomplished of the learned and sages of his dominions, and they all presented themselves on the morrow at the door of the palace, whereupon the king bade admit them. Then entered Shimas, and kissed the hands of the prince, who rose and prostrated himself to the minister. But Shimas said, It behoveth not the lion-whelp to prostrate himself to any of the wild beasts, nor besitteth it that light prostrate itself to shade. Quoth the prince, Whenas the lion-whelp seeth the leopard, he riseth up to him, and prostrateth himself before him, because of his wisdom, and light prostrateth itself to shade, for the purpose of disclosing that which is there within. Quoth Shimas, True, O my lord, but I would have thee answer me anent whatso I shall ask thee, by leave of his highness and his lieges. And the youth said, And I, with permission of my sire, will answer thee. So Shimas began, and said, Tell me, what is the eternal, the absolute, and what are the two manifestations thereof, and whether of the two is the abiding one? Answered the prince, Allah, to whom belong might and majesty, is the eternal, the absolute, for that he is Alpha without beginning, and Omega without end. Now his two manifestations are this world and the next, and the abiding one of the two is the world to come. Question. Thou sayest truly, and I approve thy reply, but I would have thee tell me, how knowest thou that one of Allah's manifestations is this world, and the other the world to come? I know this, because this world was created from nothingness, and had not its being from any existing thing, wherefore its affair is referable to the first essence. Moreover, it is a commodity swift of ceasing, the works whereof call for requital of action, and thus postulateth the reproduction of what so passeth away. So the next world is the second manifestation. Question. Now inform me how knowest thou that the world to come is the abiding one of the two existences? Because it is the house of requital for deeds done in this world, prepared by the eternal sans surcease. Question. Who are the people of this world most to be praised for their practice? Those who prefer their weal in the world to come before their weal in this world. Question. And who is he that prefereth his future to his present welfare? He who knoweth that he dwelleth in a perishing house, that he was created but to fade away, and that, after fading away, he will be called to account, and indeed 
were there in this world one living and abiding for ever, he would not prefer it to the next world. Question. Can the future life subsist permanently without the present? He who hath no present life hath no future life, and indeed I liken this world and its folk, and the goal to which they fare with certain workmen, for whom an emir buildeth a narrow house, and lodgeth them therein, commanding each of them to do a certain task, and assigning to him a set term, and appointing one to act as steward over them. Whoso doeth the work appointed unto him, the steward bringeth him forth of that straightness. But whoso doeth it not within the established term is punished. After a while, behold, they find honey exuding from the chinks of the house, and when they have eaten thereof, and tasted its sweetness of savour, they slacken in their ordered task, and cast it behind their backs. So they patiently suffer the straightness and distress wherein they are, with what they know of the future punishment, whereto they are fast wending, and are content with this worthless and easily won sweetness. And the steward leaveth not to fetch every one of them forth of the house, for ill or good, when his appointed period shall have come. Now we know the world to be a dwelling wherein all eyes are dazed, and that each of its folk hath his set term, and he who findeth the little sweetness that is in the world, and busieth himself therewith, is of the number of the lost, since he prefereth the things of this world to the things of the next world. But whoso payeth no heed to this poor sweetness, and prefereth the things of the coming world to those of this world, is of those who are saved. Question. I have heard what thou sayest of this world, and the next, and I accept thine answer, but I see they are as two placed in authority over man. Needs must he content them both, and they are contrary one to the other. So if the creature set himself to seek his livelihood, it is harmful to his soul in the future, and if he devote himself to the next world, it is hurtful to his body, and there is no way for him of pleasing these two contraries at once. Indeed, the quest of one's worldly livelihood with pious intent and unlawful wise is a viaticum for the quest of the goods of the world to come. If a man spend a part of his days in seeking his livelihood in this world for the sustenance of his body, and devote the rest of his day to seeking the goods of the next world, for the repose of his soul, and the warding off of hurt therefrom. And indeed I see this world, and the other world, as they were two kings, a just and an unjust. Asked Shibas, How so? And the youth began the tale of The Two Kings. There were once two kings, a just and an unjust, and this one had a land, abounding in trees and fruits and herbs, but he let no merchant pass, without robbing him of his monies and his merchandise. And the traders endured this with patience, by reason of their profit from the fatness of the earth, in the means of life and its pleasantness, more by token that it was renowned for its richness in precious stones and gems. Now the just king, who loved jewels, heard of this land, and sent one of his subjects thither, giving him much specie, and bidding him pass with it into the other's realm, and buy jewels therefrom. So he went thither, and, 
it being told to the unjust king that a merchant was come to his kingdom with much money to buy jewels withal he sent for him to the presence and said to him who art thou and whence comest thou and who brought thee thither and what is thy errand quoth the merchant i am of such and such a region and the king of that land gave me money and bade me buy therewith jewels from this country so i obeyed his bidding and came cried the unjust king out on thee knowest thou not of my fashion of dealing with the people of my realm and how each day i take their monies how then comest thou to my country and behold thou hast been a sojourner here since such a time answered the trader the money is not mine not a mite of it nay tis a trust in my hands till i bring its equivalent to its owner but the king said i will not let thee take thy livelihood of my land or go out therefrom except thou ransom thyself with this money all of it and shahrazad perceived the dawn of day and ceased to say her permitted say end of night 909 night 910 when it was the 910th night she resumed it hath reached me o auspicious king that the unjust ruler said to the trader who came to buy jewels from his country tis not possible for thee to take thy livelihood of my land except thou ransom thy life with this money all of it else shalt thou die so the man said in himself i am fallen between two kings and i know that the oppression of this ruler embraceth all who abide in his dominions and if i satisfy him not i shall lose both life and money whereof is no doubt and shall fail of my errand whilst on the other hand if i give him all the gold it will most assuredly prove my ruin with its owner the other king wherefore no device will serve me but i give this one a trifling part thereof and content him therewith and avert from myself and from the muddy perdition thus shall i get my livelihood of the fatness of this land till i buy that which i desire of jewels and after satisfying the tyrant with gifts i will take my portion of the profit and return to the owner of the money with his need trusting in his justice and indulgence and unfearing that he will punish me for that which this unjust king taketh of the treasure especially if it be but a little then the trader called down blessings on the tyrant and said to him o king i will ransom myself and this specie with a small portion thereof from the time of my entering thy country to that of my going forth therefrom the king agreed to this and left him at peace for a year till he bought all manner jewels with the rest of the money and returned therewith to his master to whom he made his excuses confessing to having saved himself from the unjust king as before related the just king accepted his excuse and praised him for his wise device and set him on his right hand in his divan and appointed him in his kingdom an abiding inheritance and a happy lifetide now the just king is the similitude of the future world and the unjust king of the present world the jewels that be in the tyrant's dominions are good deeds and pious works the merchant is man 
and the money he hath with him is the provision appointed him of Allah. When I consider this, I know that it behoveth him who seeketh his livelihood in this world to leave not a day without seeking the goods of the world to come. So shall he content this world with that which he gaineth of the fatness of the earth, and satisfy the other world with that which he spendeth of his life in seeking after it. Question. Are the spirit and the body alike in reward and retribution? Or is the body as the luster of lusts, and the doer of sinful deeds, and especially affected with punishment? The inclination to lusts and sins may be the cause of earning reward by the withholding of the soul therefrom, and the repenting thereof. But the command is in the hand of him who doth what he will, and things by their contraries are distinguished. The subsistence is necessary to the body, but there is no body without soul, and the purification of the spirit is in making clean the intention in this world, and taking thought to that which shall profit in the world to come. Indeed, soul and body are like two horses racing for a wager, or two foster brothers, or two partners in business. By the intent are good deeds distinguished, and thus the body and soul are partners in actions, and in reward and retribution, and in this they are like the blind man and the cripple, with the overseer of the garden. Asked Shimus, How so? And the prince said, Hear, O wazir, the tale of The Blind Man and the Cripple. A blind man and a cripple were travelling companions, and used to beg alms in company. One day they sought admission into the garden of someone of the benevolent, and a kind-hearted white, hearing their talk, took compassion on them, and carried them into his garden, where he left them after plucking for them some of its produce, and went away, bidding them do no waste nor damage therein. When the fruits became ripe, the cripple said to the blind man, Harky, I see ripe fruits and long for them, but I cannot rise to eat thereof. So go thou, arise, for thou art sound of either leg, and fetch us somewhat that we may eat. Replied the blind, Fie upon thee! I had no thought of them, but now that thou callest them to my mind, I long to eat of them, and I am impotent unto this, being unable to see them. So how shall we do to get at them? At this moment, behold, up came the overseer of the garden, who was a man of understanding. And the cripple said to him, Harkee, O overseer, I long for somewhat of those fruits, but we are as thou seest. I am a cripple, and my mate here is stone blind. So what shall we do? Replied the overseer, Woe to you! Have ye forgotten that the master of the garden stipulated with you that he should do nothing whereby waste or damage befall it? So take warning, and abstain from this. But they answered, Needs must we get our portion of these fruits, that we may eat thereof. So tell us some device whereby we shall contrive this. When the overseer saw that they were not to be turned from their purpose, he said, This then is my device, O cripple. Let the blind bear thee on his back, and take thee under the tree whose fruit pleaseth thee, so thou mayst pluck 
what thou canst reach thereof. Accordingly, the blind man took on his back the cripple, who guided him till he brought him under a tree, and he fell to plucking from it what he would, and tearing at its boughs till he had despoiled it. After which they went round about and throughout the garden, and wasted it with their hands and feet. Nor did they cease from this fashion till they had stripped all the trees of the garth. Then they returned to their place, and presently up came the master of the garden, who, seeing it in this plight, was wroth with sore wrath, and coming up to them said, Woe to you! What fashion is this? Did I not stipulate with you that ye should do no damage to the garden? Quoth they, Thou knowest that we are powerless to come at any of the fruit, for that one of us is a cripple, and cannot rise, and the other is blind, and cannot see that which is before him. So what is our offence? But the master answered, Think ye I know not how ye wrought, and how ye have gone about to do waste in my garden? I know, as if I had been with thee, O blind, that thou tookest the cripple pickerback, and he showed thee the way, till thou borest him to the trees. Then he punished them with grievous punishment, and thrust them out of the garden. Now the blind is the similitude of the body, which seeth not, save by the spirit, and the cripple that of the soul, for that it hath no power of motion but by the body. The garden is the works, for which the creature is rewarded or punished, and the overseer is the reason which biddeth to good, and forbiddeth from evil. Thus the body and the soul are partners in reward and retribution. Question. Which of the learned men is most worthy of praise, according to thee? He who is learned in the knowledge of Allah, and whose knowledge profiteth him. Question. And who is this? Whoso is intent upon seeking to please his Lord, and avoid his wrath. Question. And which of them is the most excellent? He who is most learned in the knowledge of Allah. Question. And which is the most experienced of them? Whoso in doing according to his knowledge is most constant. Question. And which is the purest hearted of them? He who is most assiduous in preparing for death, and praising the Lord, and least of them in hope. And indeed, he who penetrateth his soul with the awful ways of death is as one who looketh into a clear mirror, for that he knoweth the truth, and the mirror still increaseth in clearness and brilliance. Question. What are the goodliest of treasures? The treasures of heaven. Question. Which is the goodliest of the treasures of heaven? The praise of Allah and his magnification. Question. Which is the most excellent of the treasures of earth? The practice of kindness. And Shahrazad perceived the dawn of day and ceased saying her permitted say. End of night 910